Hello, music enthusiasts. Welcome back to the Me and Big Dave show, the show where we take a deep dive into the world of music and arts and entrepreneurship and connect with incredible talents shaping the industry today. I'm your host, Big Dave, and today we have a special treat for you. Joining us is the immensely talented musician, Paul Lowe. Now, Paul has been enchanting audiences with his soulful melodies and guitar playing, captivating performances for many, many years now, and Paul's musical journey is nothing short of remarkable. Today, we're privileged to have him here on the show to share his insights, experiences, and of course, some behind-the-scenes stories from his musical adventures. So I can't wait for all of you to get to know Paul Lowe better and explore the magic that happens behind the music. So without further ado, let's dive into his musical conversation, the one and only Paul Lowe. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Me and Big Dave show. Today, I have a very special guest with me. Uh, someone who I've looked up to for a long time has been a great friend. Uh, also, a very, very talented musician here in the Bluegrass State. Uh, many of you know him by a lot of different names. Uh, I call him Paul Cephas. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm pleased to have as my first guest of the Me and Big Dave show, Mr. Paul Lowe. Hello, Mr. Lowe. Hey, Dave. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Hey, man. I tell you, uh, I appreciate you doing this. I really do. Um, to me, it was a no-brainer on who I was going to have as my first guest. And let me tell you why. Uh, a little backstory from how I met Paul uh, years and years ago <laughs> when I was a wee little lad. Uh, I used to go to a place called the Sleazy E, the Executive Inn, and uh, I remember seeing Paul play. Uh, his brother Cam and I, we graduated high school together, been real close friends, and, uh, you know, went out to the Executive Inn, and I saw this little band playing. I believe they were called Nine Horse Johnson. Was you Nine Horse Johnson then still? I, yes, sir. Yeah, Nine Horse Johnson, and there was this guy who was playing guitar and just shredding it up. And I remember I looked at Josh English, and I said, man, if I ever had a band, that guy would be my guitar player. And uh, it was you, Mr. Lowe. And, uh, but above all of the talents that you have, um, one of the other reasons I wanted to have you as my main guest, uh, first guest here, is, um, man, and I'm not, you know, I think you need to, you deserve to hear this. Uh, you know, I've never heard anybody say a bad thing about you, uh, whether it be in the music business or just personal life, uh, a very stand up person, a great man, a great husband, great friend. Uh, and, uh, you've been there for me in hard times, man. You've been there for me throughout my, uh, growth, uh, throughout my struggles. We also were in a band together and, uh, I just, you know, as a person, of course, now I knew your mother and father, Ernie and Polly, and uh, it's a credit to them, the uh, man that you've become. I think you have a lot, uh, owe a lot of that to them. 
two great people. Uh, I love them both, both sincerely and dearly, and they took care of me as well. So for me, it was a no-brainer. I wanted to have you as my first guest, so we appreciate you have, being here. Well, Dave, I'm, I'm very honored. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's some detractors out there. Um, I, I know not everybody likes me, but, boy, they, those, those folks sure don't come around, and that's okay by me, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, basically, the premise of this show, I just want to ask you a few questions, and uh, that way, let the rest of our listeners know, you know, about Paul Lowe, who he is, and everything like that. So, first off, I just kind of want to talk about how you got started, uh, your earlier experiences in music, uh, what piqued your interest, and how did you find your way into the music business? Well, you know, music has always, and I'm sure it's this way for a lot of people, but it's just kind of there in the background, and you may or may not pay much attention to it. But I noticed um, as I got, oh, I don't know, Anytime I saw somebody with a guitar or my, my cousin had a set of drums one time, it was just like you just, I was drawn to it. Like I was just in awe of it. Uh, one of my cousins had a little Fender guitar and amp. Um, and I was, I'm going to say six or seven years old. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't know how to do that, but I know when he picks it up and does something, it just, it just drew me to it. Um, yeah. And then when I got, it was fifth or sixth grade, I got in with the school chorus thing and part of this Christmas play. And I had to do this for lack of a better term, Elvis type Christmas song. And I had to dance around and stuff and it was corny, you know, but man, people clapped, you know, and my mom thought it was great. And so I thought, well, you know, that's all right. And then the next year, kind of the same thing. Christmas came around the seventh grade. Um, I was in the, the, uh, what do you call it? A choral deal, uh, but uh, duets and going to state competitions. But at the same time, I was in impromptu club, which was kind of like a whose line is it anyway type deal. And I go to state competitions for that. And so it's entertaining and it's music. And I, I excelled at both and got high praise for both. And so uh, right around that time period is when my uncle was going to throw this guitar out of the attic and uh, I begged him if I could have it. And, um, it was just good enough with a little bit of uh, help from a local music store where I grew up in Ranswell, Illinois, uh, LV Johnston with just a little help from him. It was good enough. I could play some chords and that was about it. And uh, that got me going. Um, LV was real influential on me as a real young man uh, because LV could play on the music store and I would sweep his floors, clean his counters, take out his trash, whatever. And he would teach me some chords or he would send me home with a, with a sheet, you know, Hey, work, work on this. And uh, so I didn't really have any formal lessons per se, but I did have people around me that, that cared about me. And, and that little music store uh, went on to uh, introduce me to all kinds of people uh from all over the country and really influences from all over the world because there was an air force base in my hometown it was a training base and these guys would come in um with disposable income so we had a lot of inexpensive instruments uh because they're 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 there to train their housing their food is all paid for 
And uh, so I got to meet some people. I, one guy in particular, and I can't remember his name to say the life of me, but he, uh, man, he smoked Lucky Strike non-filter cigarettes, and he liked the blues. And he collected 45s that were released internationally because he'd been all over the world. And he made me a cassette tape when I was 13 or 14 years old. Two 90-minute tapes, and they're, they're long gone now, but... That kind of introduced me to the the blues. Really introduced me to it, and uh, you know, <laughs> it's all derivative from the blues. If you ask me, you know, whether you like country, whether you like rock and roll, you like soul music. If you draw the lines back, a lot of three chord songs, um, licks, riffs, come from that end of the spectrum. In my opinion, uh, there's a lot of folks that agree with me. Some would probably not, but, um, so that was kind of, I was just drawn to it. And, and when, once I got a guitar in my hand, um, things like counting out, uh, there's a thing called the 12 bar blues, which is an exercise. A lot of blues and country songs are, are based on even early rock and roll and, uh, so when you know you got to count one two three four one two three four one two three four and then change the chord well they didn't have to tell me when to change the next chord i could feel it like i've heard this i know what this is and uh i always felt really lucky because i know a lot of guys they take lessons or whatever and, and they have to really concentrate <laughs> on that and that's that's nothing wrong with that just that kind of came natural so that's kind of how I got drawn into it and how I got started playing guitar. Well, that's awesome, man. You know, that's one of the reasons to see, I've never heard that story. I've known you for a long time. Uh, I've never heard that story. And that's, that's the beauty of this podcast. That's the beauty of this show is, I, you know, get to learn about that because as we progress through this show, you know, I'll be able to ask different people, you know, how they got started in music. That's going to be one of the first questions I ask or how they got started in their profession or whatever it may be. And uh, I guarantee you, everybody's going to have a different story, but there's going to be similar similarities, you know, uh, right. like, you know, get getting in front of a crowd and hear, hearing their response, hearing them clap. You know, when you're a kid. That's a big deal, man, hey, you know, because, <laughs> you know, Dave, you hear people talk about uh, getting stage fright and getting the butterflies. Um, there have been a handful of times in my life where I have done a poor job performing. Um, uh, one really sticks out when I was in the seventh or eighth grade where uh, I'm not going to mention the girl's name, but we were <laughs> And we had worked our butts off on it. We worked so very hard and we got to the state competition and we're performing and we get to a part where I'm supposed to sing and my mind just completely just gone. Yeah. And I missed my part and it, it, it messed us up. And, uh, Dude, it was like somebody took an axe and split me open inside. And uh, I'm ashamed to admit it. I went out in the hallway and cried like a little old baby because, number one, that was a failure. And number two, I let her down. And, uh, but, you know, you live and you learn and you go on. But but those, those bu butterflies you get is because there's always that chance that you can fall on your face. 
and uh, <laughs> but I don't, you know, man, I still get those butterflies, um, but I almost welcome it, almost like uh, the ritual. It's part of the ritual of going on stage, definitely. But um, well, I told this, this is a true story. It hadn't been too long ago. Um, me and the guys at Nine Horse Johnson, we were getting ready to play somewhere um, that we don't play a lot. And uh, there wasn't a lot of people there. It was early. And I kind of got them all in a little huddle, uh, standing around the drum kit. And I said, let's, let's do this for us. Don't worry about what's going on on the other side of these speakers. This is our sanctuary. Let's do this. And uh, eight people got to hear us absolutely kill it for about 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Hey, so that's people, all right, man. So some more people came in, but, you know, eight people are still butterflies, you know. So anyway. Yeah. That, well, hey, you know, at the end of the day, you're doing this for yourself really and truly, I think, you know. You know? Rick Rubin say something uh, in a reel or something here not long ago, and you know you hear people when you're performing live music because obviously uh, anybody that knows me knows I've been in a cover band for a long time. I cut my teeth playing in cover bands, um, and they all pe people say, "Well, you need to play what the people want to hear." Well, people come see you, you need to do what they want to do, and uh, there's some truth to that. Absolutely. And do I like pleasing people? Absolutely. Uh, man, it makes me feel good when I, when I make somebody happy, hear a song they want to hear, or, Hey, will you sing happy birthday to my friend? Um, or we want to slow dance, you know, watch two people that care about each other, getting to dance and dance together, you know, but Rick Rubin says the audience is last. Hmm. You do it all for you. You do it for your record. You do it for the song. You do it for you. And I've, I've always said this ever since I had a little bit of gumption to me, probably in my early 20s. I didn't start playing guitar for somebody else. I started playing guitar for me. And so, yeah, it, to me, it is about the audience somewhat, but you, you got to make yourself happy. You, you didn't start playing the guitar just to be a, a people pleaser or a service, you see. Um, like I said, others may differ with that, but when I heard Rick Rubin, of all people, say the audience comes last, you got to do it for you first. I'm like, man, a lot of people don't want to hear that, but that's, that's really the the truth and so you get in yeah you get into the, the debates and you know where i'm going with this well so if you did it to record a cheese ball song so you could sell five million copies and tour the world does that make you a sellout no to, to me it to me it doesn't if you're holding true to something you see what i'm saying so like we'll use a song let's just say wagon wheel which is the chord progression for every hit country song the last <laughs> 12 years or whatever uh that chord progression and some of you will know what i'm talking about some of you will not um there's hundreds of thousands of songs with that same progression there's lots of hits from it there was hits from it before wagon wheel but that's just the, the flavor of the week so to speak but uh do I think you're selling yourself out if you use that because people will enjoy it and they'll listen to it and they'll dance to it? 
No, but if that's all you do, if that's the only reason you do it is so somebody will listen to it and dance to it and you not you're you walk away from making music like it was like like you clocked out from your job and you're you're glad to be free of it, then you're you're kind of doing it wrong. You got to even if you're playing cover songs in a local band, you still got to be doing it for yourself. Um and I always say that that you know, people can see through you. You used to always say real, recognize real. And yeah. So there's that. <laughs> well, you know, you talked about the memory you had when you when you uh, messed up at the state competition. You know, that was a bad memory. But what I would like to switch, that'd be a good segue to talk about what are some of your favorite memories in the music business? What are some things that have stood out for you as a musician, as a person, some things that you've enjoyed? Um, They could be anything, but anything that stands out as a favorite memory for you? Dave, I've been very fortunate from a young age, the age of uh, 19, 18, actually, uh, when I was playing back in Illinois in a cover band called Straight Shooter with the late Chuck Gutteridge and at one point uh, with Pat Richardson, Alton P. Richardson, uh, you know, I'm sure you, you remember Pat, Pat was a big, yeah. You. Um, one of my favorite things about Pat is I wouldn't be doing any of this without Pat Richardson and probably without Chuck Gutteridge. Um, I learned so much from those guys because I was a punk kid and they were seasoned club musicians, man. And I carry those lessons today. Dude, you and I have been on gigs before and I have used teachings that I got from them. Uh, the The most perfect one I can remember is the Wishbone Ranch. when We played that benefit out there and shot time and cigarettes. And there were members of the band. We got delayed because of weather and, and, we don't want to cut our set short because we don't listen. This isn't about us. We were asked to come help somebody. So yeah, we're going to cut our set a little bit short in the band behind us. I happened to be playing in another band that day and we cut our set short. So everyone could be accommodated. Um, that's a Chuck and Pat lesson. Uh, definitely. Um, but anyways, uh, favorite memories, you know, cutting my teeth like that early on that that's a good memory played lots of different places um i had the opportunity uh 18 years old playing a place that's no longer there in danville illinois called yesterday's and i got to open up with straight shooter for uh the guess who uh oh wow got to open up for john cafferty and the beaver brown band which that's uh eddie and the crews from the 80s you know kind of on the B level back then, but Hey, you know, it was a big club. It was a big deal to me. Got to open up for BTO at a 25th anniversary Woodstock celebration. So cool. 18 years old, I'm playing for an, I don't know, like eight or 9,000 people that day. I'm thinking, well, I'm on my way up. I'm playing big stages and, uh, <laughs> uh, it's all uphill from here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, those are great experiences, though. I mean, I don't think I've ever played in front of eight or nine thousand uh, people. So well, it, it was an exhilarating experience. I'll just put it to you that way. Uh, man, another uh, really good memory is uh, 
you know, not to drag you back into it again, man, but, uh, you know, uh, the gig, I, the first gig I played with you was an audition to open for Shooter Jennings at the Spillway. Uh, the gig wasn't at the, or was the gig at the Spillway? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was at the Spillway. Yeah. And, uh, man, we really kind of turned some heads that night because things were changing. And uh, that's a that's a good memory. I, I feel like we kind of blew the blew the back end out of it for him. So, but, um, man, one that kind of sticks out, uh, and this, this has to do with my mom and dad. I was 15 and the little music store that I worked at, uh, LV Johnston again, I had earned some credit with him for doing stuff around the shop and old amplifier that I traded in. And I got this, guitar amp it was called a sun stage master and uh it was just the head part you know just the amp part and then i got a pv cabinet big tall pv cabinet on wheels to put my amplifier to run it through those speakers and uh i called my dad i'm pretty sure it was a saturday dude i would walk through rantoul with my guitar in one hand and my little combo amp of the other with a cord in my hand. And I would walk, you know, I walked the distance, like walking to school, three quarters of a mile to my buddy's house. So we could jam, you know? And, uh, I called my dad and I said, uh, Hey dad, I need you to bring your truck up here to the music store. Help me get my amp. He said, <clears throat> excuse me. He said, why can't you just walk home with it? I know that's a shock. People wouldn't say that to the kids today, but <laughs> I said, dad, I can't, I can't walk home with this. It's too big. He said, what do you mean? It's too big. And I said, well, dad, it's okay. All right. I'll be up there in a few minutes. So he pulled his pickup truck in there and I come out to that music store and I'm pushing that amplifier out into the parking lot. And he goes, is that yours? I said, yeah. He said, man, that's like what professionals use. <laughs> and I said, yes. And after that day, um, now I still got in trouble for not having good grades and would get cut off from certain things. But I never got questioned about being serious about music from my parents again. They understood it was a big going to be a big part of my life and that it wasn't just a fad or a phase. It wasn't like, you know, the latest video game, like, man, Paul really, that's what Paul loves. Like Paul likes football and baseball. You know, I collected baseball cards. I played sports. That all kind of went down the tubes when I got knee deep into playing guitar, man, it just was gone. And, and uh, yeah, so that, that's a, that's one of my favorite memories. My dad telling me that that's like professionals use, you know? So, well, that's pretty awesome, man. I know Ernie was, uh, just a stand up guy. And as men now, I mean, my father's passed away and Ernie, you know, he's no longer with us, you know? And, uh, you know, it, it's funny how those things as a young man, when your father finally kind of accepts something about you or, or, or gives you a little bit of praise or, or something, cause we're old school, you know, I, I, you know, we're, we're old school. We, we didn't have quiet time and timeouts and, 
things like that. I don't know about you, but you know, I <laughs> we, I got a butt whooping. <laughs> we, we had order in our home. I, I'll say that, and I know we live in a much faster time now. Uh, but you know, seriously, um, my my parents, uh, you had a bicycle. Um, you got two good good feet. Um, I don't need to be running on you. And I lived in a small town, but you didn't want to walk from one end to the other, you know. And, right. But that's kind of the way it was, man. My parents just, I can't tell you how many little league practices and games that, you know, my dad worked second shift and my mom didn't get off to 530. My game's at 430. Tough luck. Ride your bicycle up there. Use the chain we bought you and lock it up. And uh, I love yep. you. I'll see you when you get home. They didn't love me any less, Dave. That's not no care. Um, but man, you would dream of doing it. Well, I can't do that with you tomorrow night because you know, little Joey's got softball at 3 30, and then Mary Sue, she's got a tennis lesson at five o'clock, and, and it's just yep. nonstop, man. You know, it's the world we live in. But uh, yeah, just kind of throwing that out there. I think my so nobody thinks my parents were being unusual and cruel to me, but we were more old school, and I grew up in a town where everybody knew pretty much who you were and if you were somewhere you weren't supposed to be and my mom used to always say this it's always going to come back I'll oh yeah out. and man was she right oh boy <laughs> well you know one time when i was a kid i remember i was supposed to be home at a certain time and i was down at my buddies josh ferrell's literally down the corner from where i lived you know and uh as i'm walking home the neighbor on the corner finds me and says, your mom's been looking for you. I get a butt whooping from them. <laughs> aunt Parazetti, who wasn't my real aunt, but Aunt Parazetti lived two houses down from us. She caught me in the front yard. Your mom's been looking for you. I got a butt whooping from her. Uh, my uncle Carl lived right next door to us. He was my great uncle. Your mom's been looking for you. I got a butt whooping from him. And then he drugged me to the house and I got a butt whooping from mom. So I got three or four butt whoopings that day, all from the neighborhood, you know? And nowadays, if anybody puts their hands on my kids, we're going to have a problem. But back then it was just a different time and a different world. And, uh, uh, you're, you're right, man. Things have changed uh, a whole lot. Uh, some for the better, some, I don't know if it is for the better, but you know, yeah, growing up in a smaller town and having everybody kind of know each other, uh, not as fast as the world is today, you know, kids today, they have instant gratification, instant, you know, if you want to find something out, all you got to do is Google it or YouTube and, and you, and you've got it right there at your fingertips. So, um, it's, it's funny, you know, like I said, you know, having that old school structure background uh that's why probably that's such a great memory for you you know is your father and your mother finally saying okay this is what paul it's who paul is and and we're, we're gonna uh, support him and appreciate what he does so um i i know for me there were times where my parents you know said hey well we we back you and we support you in this and 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 it really does mean a lot um Moving on, I want to ask, uh, tell us about any obstacles, uh, any learning experiences that you had. We've kind of covered it a little bit, but uh, how did you navigate through those obstacles? Uh, what lessons have you learned 
along the way that you might be able to pass on to some of our listeners who are have ambitions of being a musician? Um, a couple of things. Number one, if you don't ask, you won't know. Um, and that goes with club owners. That goes with other musicians. Um, you can't be bashful in this business. Uh, so ask, you know, if uh, you're going to go book with a, with a club somewhere and, uh, you know, part of that is, you know, you're, you're worth something. Don't, don't ever, don't ever let somebody make you feel like they're giving you the, the opportunity. This, this is a joint venture entertainers and club owners. Uh, it is a joint venture. Both need to be successful. So don't be afraid to ask. Don't ever be afraid to ask. And if it's not suitable, don't feel bad about not accepting an offer. You know, um, I know I'm kind of going against, you know, a lot of people say, oh, any chance you get to play? Well, you know, that's true. That That is true. When you're young, and you've not had an opportunity and someone says, hey, uh, you and your buddies want to try out here one Saturday night and play, play a couple hours, you know, I'll give you yada, yada, yada. That's okay. What I'm saying is if you've been, you've been honing your craft, so to speak. Uh, hey, you've paid your dues, basically. Well, not necessarily even paid your dues because there's people, I, I, we're all still paying dues, Dave, but, but. You, you got you gotta you gotta know your worth you gotta know your worth uh and don't be afraid to ask for it so don't be afraid to ask and that's one of the things uh one of the other things i would say is uh it doesn't cost anything it doesn't cost you any money and will probably make you feel better it doesn't cost anything to be nice to people wow yeah that's true and yeah. you hear the old folks say, well, you get more flies with honey than you do vinegar. Well, that's the same way in this world. Now, I'm not saying if someone is unsavory to you, uh, turn, you know, you turn the cheek and be nice. Uh, people have their limits, but it doesn't cost anything to be nice. And I'm going to tell you something I learned working in a service based industry. You know, I worked for a local country club several stints and um, those people pay for exclusivity correct right so when they come into a place they don't want somebody asking them hey uh, what's your name uh who do i put this bill under so how do you remedy that you walk out from behind the counter or you walk out from the kitchen where you're and you walk over to them and you stick your hand out and you say Good afternoon. My name is Paul, and you are, sir, or ma'am. And so right. when those people come, come in to visit you, uh, you know you're not, you're not looking like a Johnny-come-lately, so to speak. Uh, in, on the golf access of that, uh, people would come to this club and just get on a golf cart and wouldn't even check in with the golf shop. Now, if you did that anywhere else, uh, if you went to a municipal uh, golf course, you couldn't do that because you wouldn't have a key. Uh, but 
certain country clubs don't or didn't function that way. And so how do you, how do you make sure the pay for what they're using? Well, you better introduce yourself and you better find out who they are. And, and then you bill accordingly. And, uh, so it doesn't cost anything to be nice to anybody, but it, sometimes if you're not nice, you might get in trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't be bashful, Dave. And you're not a bashful person. I always just said about you, you know, Dave, you could sell ketchup popsicles to women wearing white gloves because you're a nice guy. You're believable. You're not bashful. Uh, those are all great salesman qualities. Um, so, yeah, I've learned it doesn't cost anything to be nice to people. And, uh, you know, just be true to yourself. Don't, don't, well, don't, don't mortgage, don't, don't mortgage your, your, your self, uh, mental health for any of this. It's not worth it. Well, you know, I think that's, those are great, uh, words of uh, advice and lessons that we could all use in day-to-day life, not just the music business. You know what I mean? I think, like you said, that goes for a lot of different aspects in life. So th- those are great, uh, great things i think that you mentioned there um a few more questions here man i don't want to keep you too long i know it's uh you're off from your job and everything so you probably want to get off here and uh enjoy the rest of your day uh one of the one of the things i'm all yours say what i appreciate that (laughs) all right that's what i like to hear uh another thing i wanted to bring up the creative process uh i'm curious to your creative process. Uh, I know you say you cut your teeth doing a lot of cover band music and there's a lot of covers. Uh, I know you personally, so I know uh, I've worked with you personally. So I know how you, how you do creative, your creative bone works to an extent. Um, But even in the, even in the, even in the cover band aspect, I mean, you guys still have to practice. You guys still have to get down and learn these things. Uh, what, how do you approach your creative process in music? How do you approach, say, guys, we've got this, somebody says, hey, this is a new song we want to learn, we want to put it in our set. How do you approach that? I know as an experienced musician, it may come second nature to you now, but for our listeners that are just curious and don't know, or maybe they're trying to do that themselves, how do you approach your creative process when it comes to new music and, and new projects? Um, with, with, with original music, um, you know, there's not really much of that out there for me. There's not really any, I've never released anything of my own. Uh, I've got a handful of things that are kind of in my back pocket that, that, that I've, I've thought about doing. Um, but I'm not a grinder, you know, like, um, you talk about the uh, songwriting sessions and, four or five writers together and they're grinding out and they might write 35 songs in that session. And there might not be one of them in there worth a flip, you know, there might be a dozen, um, you know, I hear stories of songwriters, you know, they got a notebook with 130 songs and they get to Nashville and they realize, you know, you got to write that many just to realize you can write a bad one. Well, I'm not that kind of grinder. Like if something hits me, a, a chord progression or something, um, uh, I'll give you the perfect example. And I, I, you and I were hanging out and I had this chord progression, which is so very simple. And I couldn't get it out of my head and I kept playing it over and over and over and over. 
and you took that chord progression and wrote uh, Shotgun Fever that we had in Shot Time and Cigarettes. Uh, I had did not see that going that way. I had a credence thing creeping up kind of in the back of my mind with the way I was playing it. And we kind of turned it into a, uh, uh, a pretty dark rock and roll song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so that's the way it comes for me. Um, as far as original music, as far as learning songs in a band, uh, I'm going on. Uh, 24 years with Nine Horse Johnson. Obviously, we had a wow. couple-year break in there uh, because we we get on each other's nerves. And uh, uh, no, that never happens in a band. But uh, <laughs> for a long time, we didn't rehearse, and uh, we were all well versed enough. Um, somebody would call out hey man do you remember such and such by acdc well yeah we all know all these acdc songs so we just play it unrehearsed uh we did wow. that for a long time we would just hey we're gonna do this song this saturday uh get kind of get you know i need to get my my cd player out or whatever you know because that's what you did yeah. when i first started doing this you use your cassette player and you had to hit stop and rewind and then get back to the part you know <laughs> <laughs> it's so easy today um, yeah you get a list of songs and you or what i do i get my ipad and sit in there in my music room with a guitar and amp and uh i just kind of woodshed it out if i'm having trouble lo and behold i'll just get off that app and go to youtube and see if i can find a video of somebody else playing it or teaching it and uh, you know that part man is really gotten so much more simplified um, I was fortunate enough. I didn't have to use LPs. You know, I hear guys telling stories about, you know, scratching their records from trying to drop the needle where they needed to, you know, go. And, um, that's that, you know, we used to really have to work hard to do this. The internet and modern day technology really is a, uh, is a, uh, blessing when it comes to learning new material. Uh, one thing I always say about rehearsal um, practice is is at home you know if we're going to learn four new songs then everybody needs to woodshed them and have them ready for when we have a rehearsal which is the group putting those parts together and, and playing them um, that's that's another little piece of advice for you young musicians out there if you're playing with three other guys four other guys two other gals and one other guy, whatever the combination may be. And you all say, Hey, we're going to do these three songs on Saturday and you show up to rehearsal and you didn't learn those three songs thinking you'll just catch up on it at the rehearsal. Um, that's the wrong way to go. Because right. When you do that, you're wasting other people's time. See, they already spent that time to do what you came to the rehearsal to do. So that is an important piece of advice. If it's original music and you guys write a new song and you're just working out the parts, you think, man, this is so cool. And I can't wait till next Tuesday when we get together and jam again. Go home and play it. Play what you know. Play the parts that you know are going to be in that until they're emblazoned in your head. Um, and this is also a common thing these days. Everybody's got 
a music stand or an iPad attached to their if you are if you are creating original content when you go out to play it, you do not need to be reading it off of an iPad. That is your I agree. Um if you are in a steady cover band and you are going to regularly play these songs over and over and over, do yourself a favor and sit down and learn the lyrics or learn the chord progressions. Now, if you go down on Broadway in Nashville, every band you see has iPads on stands on their microphones. These people are working for tips and they'll tell you for $20, I'll play any song you want to hear. Well, the difference between here and there is, is number one, they're going to get the $20. <laughs> yeah, because people will, listen, that's another thing. People will ask you to play songs that you don't play and not not want to give you anything for it. That's, but if it's in Nashville, it's okay because, oh, it's Music City and, oh, we're in Nashville. <laughs> here, but, but, you know, you're worth it too. So, like, uh be true to your craft enough that you want to go out and play the songs that you regularly play and know them verbatim. Um, have I ever had a music stand on stage? Of course. Will I probably ever do it again? It depends on how hard the new songs are, but probably not. Um, these guys reading charts and reading lyrics off the internet to make $20 for their, themselves and their bandmates on Broadway. I kind of give those folks a pass, so to speak, you know, um, that's my opinion. That doesn't mean if you're doing that, that it's wrong. Just I'm of the mindset when I go see a performer, uh, if I go see a local band and I do from time to time, man, I want to hear what they got, man. And I, I don't feel like you can really perform to your, to your full potential. If you are having to read it off of a screen, does that make sense? Absolutely, man. Number one, <clears throat> I agree with you. Number one, I feel as if uh, part of the experience of seeing somebody perform live, like you said, I want to I want to hear what you got. And uh, I think, you know, if I go to a WWE match, you know, if there's somebody in there saying, all right, now you're going to do a drop kick. Now you're going to do this. Now you're or if they're reading from us, if they're reading from a script when they're cutting a promo that takes the. Um, illusion of disbelief away from it does that make sense you know you're wanting to see a professional do something professional yes so yeah the perfect example of that is the movie beyond the mat when the rock is is going over the highlights he's talking to himself do this okay if you smell what the rock's good he's talking to himself he's going over that so when he gets in front of that camera it's it's verbatim it's it's second nature he Mm -hmm. delivering it he's not having to think about it yeah. And that comes across in the performance as well, I believe, you know, because like you said, you're not give, you're not able to give me your full internal uh, artistic uh, output if you're sitting there trying to read the lyrics. You know, your facial expressions are different. Your uh, your mannerisms are different. The way you play, the way you sing, everything is different if you're actually looking at it right there. So. <laughs> I, I definitely agree with you. I'm, I'm, I'm in absolutely no way trying to be disrespectful to those who are dependent upon using devices. If that's what you got to do to do it and people love you regardless, then, then more power to you. But when I am playing, a lot of times I'm not even singing, uh, but sometimes I am singing. 
and I'm looking around the room as I'm doing it and I'm looking yeah. at people and, uh, you can't do that if you got to look at the screen. So, yeah. All right. Well, I've got maybe two more questions here for you. Like I said, uh, I want these to be about 45 minutes to an hour. Paul, I love you, man. Me and you could talk for about four or five hours. I we, know that. Neither we, we could. We could. Yeah. And, you know, the fact <laughs> of the matter is that somebody needs to have a podcast and Dave Lindsay. <laughs> Oh, well, look, see, that's what people don't realize. See, this is my way to just kind of uh, interview myself without having to interview myself. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. So uh, we kind of discussed this earlier. What projects have you done in the past? What are your favorite projects? Let's talk about those. Uh, and also, uh, I want to kind of look into the future, see what's on the horizon for Paul Lowe and his musical tastes and his musical uh, experiences. But what are your favorite projects that you've done and what can we expect from Paul, Nonhorse Johnson, whatever? Uh, what can we expect in the future? Uh, man, one project comes to mind right off the bat. And uh, my buddy Bones Kalem, we lost him this year. Um, but he invited me along with several other local musicians to record an album. And it was, I think he recorded, yeah, it was summer of 22, maybe. Yeah. And he recorded this record called the last hurrah and nobody knew we would lose him as soon as we did. But, uh, I got to play on a handful of tracks on that rhythm and lead guitar. And, uh, it meant a lot to me because I didn't grow up around here and bones, uh, Bones Kalen included me with guys that he grew up with and played with on and off through most of his life. So I was really excited to be part of that project. Um, I don't know if that's, I don't think that's for purchase anywhere. I could be wrong. Um, but man, it, it meant a lot to me to, for him to ask me. And then it meant a lot, even more when your friend passes like that. Um, you know, that's, that's a, that's a memory that's 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 a little pin in my cap so to speak uh that that i can be part of that man one of my favorite projects and you know where i'm going with this man uh, you know i love shot time and cigarettes i was only supposed to come in and help you with a gig or maybe just partially helping and, and when you asked me to be part of it um I, <laughs> well we kind of just fit like more was Forrest Gump say like one of them round pegs, you know, <laughs> and, uh, boy, we had a, we had a good run, uh, lots of stuff still left on the table table, whether that ever, uh, comes back around, we'll see. Uh, that was a favorite project of mine, man. I, I had a, a project in, and underneath all this man, nine horse Johnson has been, I ran, I run into people every once in a while and they say, yeah, I remember nine horse Johnson before you were in. And I say, no, you don't. <laughs> I'm the only person. I only person that's always been in nine horse Johnson. I've never quit. I never left. I didn't get added. I haven't been fired. Uh, nobody's ever been fired in, in this band. Uh, but people say, yeah, I remember them before you were around. I'm like, no, you don't. No, I tell you, you are mistaken. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but man, long time ago, uh, I had this country music thing with uh, uh, Sean Killen and my buddy Todd Waldrop, 
It started yeah. with me and Sean. Man, I loved that. One, one thing I loved about doing that, uh, and really kind of one of the things that I think maybe might have killed it in the end was I loved the fact that I went and did something that was completely different than the Horace Johnson. I went and played old country songs, some bluegrass, uh, stuff I really wanted to do. And then, of course, that was just me and Sean. And then <clears throat> Todd entered the picture. Of course, we played together in Nine Horse Johnson. And slowly, little by little, because Todd and I played together in Nine Horse Johnson, people say, well, you do that song in Nine Horse Johnson. Why don't you do it with the country thing? And, right. Uh, you know, still my buddies. You know, I I enjoyed doing that. Had a little thing going with Artist Green over the past year and a half. Uh, well, we kind of do a little bit of everything. Uh, but, of course, I'm doing a lot of old country. And that's been a lot of fun just because, once again, I'm not repeating the same music that I'm already playing with another group. And uh, there's some folks out there that do that. More power to them and God love them. I just feel like if I'm in a different project, it needs to be a different representation of material. I agree. I agree. I do. That's I, I totally, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Um, as far as the future, you know, I plan on playing live as long as the good Lord physically lets me do it. Um, you know, I'm in a band with four other guys and I want people to wrap their minds around this. And Travis is a new addition and he's entering his third year in the band as a keyboard player and vocalist. But imagine getting along with four other people all the time. It doesn't happen. Uh, so we get along pretty, pretty well. Who knows what the future holds there? Uh, they're all my brothers. In the, it's a it's a good thing, man. I feel like when we go out and play in Nine Horse Johnson, Travis says this. He goes, "Man, sometimes we ain't pretty, but we're strong." <laughs> Story of my life, yeah. right there. And I'm like, yeah. He goes, "Strong isn't always pretty, big boy." He calls me big boy all the time. Yeah, uh, but well. You know, we, we enjoy doing that um, kind of yeah, somewhat busy schedule, not not too crazily busy. Um, there's something that, you know, I've kind of thought about. I don't know if it'll ever come to fruition, but uh, I think maybe one of these days before I hang it up, I might might have a, make a recording uh, with a couple of cover songs I want to do and maybe a blues tune or two. Uh, concert jim who is no longer with us as well I, you remember jimmy don't you oh yeah yeah and and concert jim used to always say to me he said he said hey Polly man you you record a record man you you need to call it a man of large stature and so i've got the record name if i ever record one there you go Polly Lowe, there you go hard stature but who knows how far off that is in, in the horizon there but uh you know, I'm going to keep playing live music, Dave. It's it's what I've known from a young. I've played live music now longer uh, than I've not played live music. Wow, yeah. Well, you know, uh, I I don't think I could ever picture. Your, I think as long as you can pick up a guitar 
and play it, I think you're going to be doing that, Paul. Uh, like I said, it just kind of you think about Paul. Uh, I always think about the great person you are, uh, the the genuine soul that you are first. Uh, and then secondly, I'm like, Hey, Paul's going to be playing somewhere. Like there's been times where me and my wife, I, I, you know, I've told Tammy, Hey, you know, what can we do? You know, da, 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 da. of course we don't go out to the bars and stuff very much anymore. Uh, but there were so many times I was like, well, Hey, Paul's playing down here. Paul's playing down here. I mean, it, 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 any, any weekend of the, of the year, you could probably find Paul playing somewhere. And that's just the testament to the 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 dedication and uh, what you've put into this. You know, uh, you don't people don't get booked that much if number one they're not any good, and number two uh, they haven't put in their work and their time and grinded it out. Uh, so uh, now, granted, one of these days you may have to sit down while you play uh, <laughs> because you'll be getting to be an old man. But I don't think there'll ever be a day where you're not playing. Uh, and you know, talking about one of the things that I've actually noticed, uh, I'm 43. One of the things that I've noticed here lately more than ever is how many times have we mentioned somebody in this particular podcast, that person's no longer with us. Uh, so, uh, time flies and, you know, there's been a lot of people we've lost along the way, but, uh, I'm still glad that I've got good friends here on this earth with me and, uh, and, you know, like, for instance, oh, what was his name? I'm trying to think of right now. I played the harmonica. Ronnie Murphy. Ronnie Murphy. Now, that man played till the day he died, you know. I mean, he may not have played as much as he used to near the end, but, you know, that was a guy I remember. We were at the Little Brown Jug. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Little Brown Jug. And uh, you'd always told me how Ronnie would play. He'd be like, hey, Paul, what key is this in? And he would just go through his little bag of harmonicas and pick the key that it was in and go to town. Yeah. And I got to experience that with you guys one time. And I thought that was awesome. So yeah, man, I think, uh, I think, I, and I would love to hear a Paul Lowe record someday, just, you know, doing whatever it is you do, uh, covers. And I know, you, I know for a fact and I hope you don't mind me saying this. There's a song that I know that you've written. Oh boy. Uh, uh, was it the river they call pride? Yes. I love that song. Just so you know, uh, I don't know how many people have heard it, but I really, really do enjoy that song. And, uh, yeah, maybe, I, maybe you'll inspire me to get back after it. Hey man, look, uh, I think you'd be very, very pleasantly surprised at the people uh, in in your life that you know and new people that you could possibly reach if you ever decided to do a record. Uh, but anyway, just throwing that out there. Uh, so we've already discussed this a little bit. Uh, basically, one of my last questions, uh, what advice uh, based on your experiences uh, as a musician, any tips, say I'm a brand new, uh, guitar player, brand new, brand new musician, just starting out, uh, what kind of advice or tips based on your experience could you give somebody that's just starting out as an aspiring musician? Um, for young guitar players out there, uh, your fingers are going to hurt. And you're going to work really hard at making some chords and your fingers are going to hurt and you're not going to make the chords 
don't get discouraged. It's, mm. it's not easy. There is some physical hand-eye coordination to this most definitely. Uh, newsflash, I'm 30-some years in playing guitar, and I, I make lots of mistakes. I hit wrong notes. I don't hit all the notes correctly in a full chord sometimes. Um, but but if you, if you really want it, you, you can do it. Um, and just that's the people ask me, you know, well, how long does it take to get good? And I said, well, when I get there, I'll let you know. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't, you know, um, but, but that's it. You got to have the dedication. When I was 13, 14 years old, I would ruin a set of acoustic guitar strings in a day. In a day. Cause I played wow. seven hours and uh, just sweat all over them. And, and I didn't mean I got a new set the next day. I had to play on them usually for two or, th- two or three months before mm-hmm. I could afford to buy new strings. But man, that's, that's one of the main things. And uh, we live in a digital world where we get instant gratification. You're not going to get that with music. You, you don't don't get discouraged Mm. it's real easy to get discouraged um and the number one piece of advice if you're around somebody that can play well or you're in a music store and you hear somebody playing the guitar really well remember how we said it doesn't cost anything to be nice right walk over to that person and don't make don't weird them out like don't sit there and just stare at them and say Say hey, how you doing? You 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 play really well. Can 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 I see what you just played? And watch and pay attention. Um, we didn't have YouTube when I was a kid, but I lived next to an or I lived in a town with an Air Force base and working at that little music store, watching these people from all over the country that played guitar. Uh, sometimes I would just be on the other side of the counter, and I would just kind of get to where I could see what they were doing, and I would shut my mouth and I would listen and watch yeah man man and so then when you get home you're trying to remember that guy was on the fifth fret he was doing this and uh and then sometimes guys would you know would kind of befriend me and and you can this doesn't have to happen in a music store it doesn't hurt but you know let's say hey you know how to how to play that lick that whatever band you know you know how to play walk this way by earl smith no man, but I, I, that's cool, you know. Oh man, it's just real simple. It's on the A string, you know. It doesn't cost anything to be nice. Sometimes put your put your phone down and watch what's going on around you. Uh, lots of opportunities, and uh, be be patient. Just be patient. Playing an instrument is not an instant gratification deal, and sometimes you don't have to play in a band. You don't have to play with the orchestra. Um, sometimes just doing it for yourself is enough. And right. And cause I don't want people to think, well, if I'm not playing in a band, then I'm not really playing. No, no. Listen, if you like playing along with tracks on YouTube that you can play lead guitar over with, and that makes you happy. That is, that is being successful on your instrument. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, that's something my dad always said to me was you learn more with your mouth shut than you do with it open. 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> the truth, isn't it? Yeah, it's true. You know, and like you said, I mean, I, you know, I think we live in a society. A lot of people, and some people are a little backwards. I don't want to say backwards. Uh, some people are more awkward when it comes to just approaching people. Like me and you, we we don't care to come up and approach somebody. Hey, man, how was you playing that? Hey, can you show me something? But like you said, there's nothing wrong with you just shutting up, putting your phone down and watching and listening and learning because you can learn a lot like that as well. So I think that's, that's actually some great advice. And also, you know, it's not going to come overnight. You're not going to get this overnight unless you're one of those very few rare genius people who can just pick things up and pick it up, you know, instantly. Um, especially with the guitar, I think, because, um, number one, there is a physical aspect to the guitar. You know, you, if, you you do have to have a little bit of threshold for the pain because your fingers are going to hurt and uh, your your hands going to cramp up and you're going to get tired. You might bleed on those strings. You're going to sweat on those strings. And uh, if you're not going to do that, that's why I never became a great guitar player, just because I didn't have the patience or the drive to learn and, and teach myself like that. Uh, but yeah, I think our player. I'm a what? You're a unique guitar player because you play the guitar your way. I say, hey, man, did you play this chord like this? He goes, man, this is good enough right here. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you got the right songs everybody wants to hear. What do I know? <laughs> I remember there was a few times you, you, you'd say, what are you what 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 are you playing? What chord is that? It sounds like this. And, you, and I'd be like, man, I don't know what chord this is. <laughs> I have no clue, man. No. And then the, there was there was a few times that I would play something, and it, it would sound pretty, you know. And you and you would look at it, and you'd be like, "I don't know how you're getting that sound out of that the way your fingers are." And just so you know, it was one of the greatest compliments I ever got was when you told me that I was playing certain chords. Even though I wasn't playing them the correct way, the way I was making it sound, you said, David, there's people who play for years and can't get that chord. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. And I don't know how you're doing it because your fingers are not in the right way. I, I think it was because, you know, there'd be a fatty part of my hand hit, hit a certain string and it would dull it or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, hey, it worked, you know, so uh, that's great. That's great. So, uh, Paul, first off, uh, before we wrap up, uh, I just want to tell you, thank you again for this. It means the world to have you on as my first guest, uh, for this podcast. Uh, I think I've got a pretty decent premise here, uh, and some of the artists and musicians, and I've got some pro wrestlers. I've got some entrepreneurs just, um, as the kids would say, this is a way for certain people to get their flowers now while they're still here and tell their story. Uh, I believe you have a story worth telling. I believe that you have a, uh, experiences that are worth telling. And uh, I'm just tickled pink to have you on as my first guest. Before we wrap up, though, uh, can tell us, tell our listeners where they can find maybe some of your music, where you guys are going to be doing some gigs, any websites, anything like that. Uh, just tell our listeners how they can find Paul Lowe, Nine Horse Johnson, and all that good stuff. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook uh, under Paul E. Lowe, or you can uh, go and like and follow the Nine Horse Johnson uh, page on Facebook. Uh, 
we pretty much post all of our, our live performances and whatnot on that page. But I will be in and around Bowling Green, Glasgow, uh, Litchfield, uh, maybe Morgantown. Just we'll be around, you know. Uh, we won't be too hard to catch. Uh, we, uh, we plan on having another successful year in 2024. And uh, while we're on that, man, if you'll allow me this, Dave, I want to thank the guys that I play with in Nine Horse Johnson, who is Mike Chaffin on drums, Ronnie Stillwell on bass, Todd Aldrip on, a, on guitar, and Travis McIntosh on keys. And everybody sings, with the exception of Mike. Um, and really thank those guys for, for just – being part of this thing where and we're riding this horse to the end, baby. Yeah, that's great, man. Hey, I know those guys, all those guys are exceptionally great people. Um, to be perfectly honest with you, I'm going to tell one quick story before we wrap this up. Um, for those that don't know, I actually started doing hip hop. Uh, the good old boys. I think you still call me sometimes Biggles G O B. That's what your number stored in in my phone. G O B. The good old boys. <laughs> Excuse me. And um, I remember we had a gig at Tidballs. I believe y'all were playing at Tidballs, and you allowed us the opportunity oh, oh, to open yeah. for you guys. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. So before we got there, we did sound check, and of course back then. Uh, before everything was all digital, we would literally make a show CD for ourselves for our performance. And we had sound effects, you know, each song would kind of go into the next one. There'd be like a a big explosion before the next track. You know, we might have little instrumentals. So we ran through the show CD before everybody got there. We did a little sound check. Me and Josh OE, I mean, we felt really good about this. We was like, man, we're going to kill it. We were so excited to be playing Tidballs. You know, if you're from this area, you know, Tidballs was like the place to play, you know, at that time. And uh, so we get up there and we're about to play and hit play on the CD. There's people there. And I had friends from high school that had dr- driven up to hear us play and do our thing. And CD start skipping. CD start skipping. Then it just wouldn't even play. And I'm telling you, that was the one time in my whole musical career that I I, I got mad. I mean, I got mad and I, I, I put the mic down and me and Josh walked into the back <laughs> and I just left the stage. I walked into the back and I was like, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what we're going to do. And, and Josh was like, I don't know what we're going to do either. And I believe you came back or Todd came back. One of you guys came back and said, well, man, I don't, I don't know. I'm sorry about that. I, I it was working earlier. I said, here's what we're going to do. I said, Paul, you know how to play guitar? He said, yeah. <laughs> I said, you know how to play the drums? You know how to play the bass? Yeah. Y'all just get up there and play, and we're going to freestyle. And literally, I think you played black at, back in black for about 30 minutes. Well, that that uh, was Rock Candy. We played the riff from Montrose's Rock Candy. There uh, you go. What, whatever it was. Don't, don't, don't. Yeah, and man, yeah, we're smothering it, Mike. Mike, we got done because we played it for a long time. Mike was like, I didn't think I was ever. 
jalapeno. Jesus, that's just too long, man. <laughs> we just went through our whole set, basically. <laughs> I think we did the back in black thing too, but I know for a long time you would come out and see us and. We we play the back in black riff and you would just freestyle over it and you know the whole time we're playing people are having drinks and a couple people dancing or whatever but you get up there and start doing that and then everybody kind of stops what they're doing and they're watching them like this is what I'm talking about this is why Biggles Jill <laughs> to be on stage with Nine Horse Johnson <laughs> man those but those guys you know along with yourself gave me an opportunity to. Uh, have that backing you know of not only uh of a backing band but a backing of an established group of musicians saying hey this guy's good enough to share the stage with us and we and we feel confident in enough of at least he's going to get y'all's attention you know and uh so i I also want to thank those guys for everything that they've done and uh, everything that you've done for me man uh i know and those you know i'm clean and sober now um, there was plenty of nights that I was not sober. And if I was getting a little rowdy, I could always count on, uh, I could just hear Paul in the background, David. <laughs> and, and somehow it would snap me out of my ignorance and make my ears perk up. And I'd be like, okay, yep. All right. Now I'm getting too out of line. If Paul's checking me, it's time for me to, to settle down a little bit. So for, for your listeners, you, you remember the, the New Year's Eve gig we did, uh, Ronnie Murphy on harmonica, and uh, Ashley Smith, and then Todd and Ronnie from Nine Horse. Remember, you did uh, Polk Salad Annie, and uh, <laughs> I, I hate let, to say this, but I don't you, remember. <laughs> Ashley Smith was doing the the drum thing, and David would point his finger to the right, and the drums would go snap, you know. And, you two acted like you had been part of Elvis's entourage for the last, you know, three years of his touring <laughs> career, his life, whatever. And then I just couldn't uh, get over how good. And you just, dude, you get back into playing live. I don't care if it's, I don't care if it's yodeling. You need to do poke salad. And so that's, that's great. That's my opinion. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. You know, and it's sad to me, man, because there's so many instances where someone is like, man, do you remember when you did this? And I'm like, no, I don't, <laughs> I don't remember it. You know, I don't know if that's the years of football coming into play or if I was just, there's times that I really don't remember, and it's sad in one aspect, but, you know, I'm glad you remember it, Paul. Man, I want to thank, I want to thank you for something else, Dave. My father-in-law, Danny Joe Reese, uh, you, you have been a supporter of him and have mentioned him on social media uh, more times than I can count. And uh, he thanks the world of you, and he is so grateful that someone remembers him and you know i always say he's the only local living legend of country music so uh, i wanted to thank you for that since we had a, a a platform to do so well hey absolutely danny joe i still tell people about Danny danny joe to this day so uh, uh absolutely great person wonderful musician and you're right you're right. He's the only local living legend of country music in this area. So, well, yeah, absolutely. And there's lots of good ones, but you know, Danny, uh, Danny kind of, of course I'm a little partial. 
Yeah, well, I don't know why. Maybe it's because, you know, he's your father-in-law, you know. And Dana, your wife, I love her to death. Uh, everybody I've ever, you know, of course, Cam, I love Cam to death, your brother. And uh, your mother and father were always great to me. Uh, beautiful people. And uh, like I said, that's a, you, you and Cam are both in a testament to them and uh, everything. Man, you're a testament to your mom and dad. Man, I love your mom to death and your granny. I love them. Oh, yeah. And they just want hugs. And your your granny kind of hugs me a little too tight sometimes, Dave. I'm just- <laughs> <laughs> She's a sweetheart. She's a sweetheart. Dad was always well, Paul, so good to me. Anytime I saw your dad, he always stopped what he was doing and, and, and wanted to talk. So, um, yeah. Thanks for having me on, Dave. Hey, it's been a pleasure, Paul, and I hope you have a great new year, and uh, I, I look forward to hearing you play out sometime, all right? All right, boss man. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the amazing Paul Lowe once again. Uh, thank him for coming on the show. Uh, make sure you share this podcast with your friends. Uh, give it a like. Uh, let everybody know where you can find the Me and Big Dave show on all of your listening devices, anywhere that you listen to your podcast. We have some more great guests coming up shortly uh, within the next couple days. And uh, again, I just want to thank Paul for being here and tune in next time to the Me and Big Dave show. <laughs>